have 60 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is Minute 46. Part man. Part machine. All part. This minute begins with Lewis catching up with Robocop in the hallway and ends with a technician running after Robocop's car. <laughs> Everybody's running after Robocop today. I know. He's a, he's, well, I was going to say he's a wanted man, yes. but not in that way. <laughs> yeah. Robocop would never be a wanted man. No, no. I think he goes above the law in a few movies from now. <laughs> but, um... No, it's... Oh God. I haven't actually done my Robocop voice that often. I've probably made me twice. <laughs> I, I just don't think I've got the range to do a Peter Weller, and so I just... No, I, I don't want to attempt it. Or at least, you know, I don't, I'm not confident enough to attempt it. Mary had a little lamb. That, that sort of thing. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I keep saying this every minute for like the last five or six minutes, but like, you know, yeah, good Jesus. This is just, one again, one of those perfect moments in a perfect film hmm. like damn uh yeah there's some beautiful flow in this is, this is a minute with a lot of mm. flow where, where it's just the exchange between um well so my brain was like do i say the character's name or the actors yeah i was gonna say lewis and Murphy. both yeah both i mean yeah i guess particularly here i'm talking about performance where it's just so understated and mm. It's it's more about how the music and the action around it rises into this crescendo. The cinematography is just spot on. Yeah. And also Nancy Allen looks very pretty in this scene. Just wanted everybody yeah. to know. <laughs> well, I do have some notes for on that, but uh, that's for commentary reasons. I've got a note here. Yeah, Maggie Mae Fish pretty much, you know, really nails it on her analysis of Robocop, the um, the mirroring between the two characters, mm. and um, the funny thing is, yeah, saying about um, Lewis being very pretty in this scene, look, she's she's definitely an attractive person, and definitely. she's being very sex. you know, Nancy Allen's a very attractive person, but yeah, I think it's the first time in this movie where we see a little bit of that femininity come through, you know? Yeah. I think part of it is down to performance in terms of she's being a bit more gentle, which we haven't seen before. Yes. And yeah, I think maybe makeup and styling, they have made her look more feminine, whereas in previous scenes, mm. she's a bit more butch. So I think yeah. it was deliberate. Yeah, the framing especially, we because I think it's the first time we actually really get a close-up of Nancy Allen and Lewis. Mm. In this movie, where you know it's well, she, she isn't beating up men or pulling a helmet off, or yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is just or uh, popping bubble gum, or yeah, you know, yeah. So yeah, I think it's one of those things where the framing really helps it. But it, um, and I'll bring this up in the commentary notes, but it's not sexualized. No, it's it, it creates a sense of uh, noise going on in the background. Yeah, I was just gonna say we're recording in um, hurricane season in Perth, oh, so okay. you know, there's a. For a second there, I'm like, oh, was that someone calling my name? Or was that just the wind? It's just the building talking to you, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a ghostbuster, so of course I live in a haunted house. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, you're the only one who can deal with, yeah, very cheap rent um, yeah. because yeah, yeah. of the ghost. But you can deal with it, man. It's not really an issue. And also, you know, unlicensed nuclear material, you know, being scattered around the place and, you know, a containment grid that might blow up the entire block. But, you know, that's a trade-off. Yeah, I mean, people don't tend to inspect those things when you live in a haunted place. You, you get the place to yourself, I assume. The last time someone tried to inspect one of these places, it blew up New York, so, you know. 
back off, man. Anyway, I'm a Robocop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ghostbusters. Well, man. we have scientists. We have scientists in this uh, particular scene, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 fitting. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure there is a Ghostbusters minute, so go check that out, I guess. Uh, but meanwhile, Robocop, yeah, I think there's a real... I mean, that we've already had this empathetic connection between Lewis and Murphy, and now mm. uh, we're feeling that same connection between her and Robocop. And I yeah. love that it's, it's, again, really subtle. She says, you're Murphy, aren't you? And then he just takes two steps back, and then he goes to leave. So you almost feel like, oh, maybe he was just doing that to leave it. I think she got through to him. Well, what's really interesting is between the book and the script and the movie, the uh, the scene plays out almost identically, but uh, the dialogue is just slightly different in almost every scene. So, yeah, you're saying about the iconic line is, Murphy, it's you. Mm. Come on, Murphy. It is you. Like, it feels a lot more like... Come on, you know, you should recognize me. Insistent. Yeah, whereas, like, I think of the movie, like, Nancy plays it kind of a bit more conspiratorially. Mm. You know, like, it's a thing of, like, she can see the OCP going in, so she's, like, trying to kickstart him. So, and she even later on, we'll get to this night next, pretty much next minute, is she doesn't particularly let to Morton know she basically said that to um, Robocop. Yeah, and actually that uh, ties into one of my notes where I was realizing in this minute more than any other, it kind of epitomizes this sense that, uh, well, this idea of this militarized police, the pr- police brutality, mm. just it's a very inhuman um, arm of the government, or is it even part of the government anymore? I don't know. But yeah, it's this idea, there is, she does not feel comfortable in her own workplace and mm. Robocop lacks any sort of social protocols. You know, you'd think, the idea with police, I would never felt this way personally, but police are supposed to make you feel safe, and so they're supposed mm. to make the community uh, feel safe. Yeah, I mean, I've never felt that way personally. If I see police at an event, I just go, mm, some shit's going to go down. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, even as a driver, like, you know, you there's a moment where, you know, a cop car pulls up behind you and with flashing lights mm. and you party just there going, what the fuck did I do wrong? Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I can't say I've had negative dealings with the police personally, but yeah, there's still a moment where you just, you know, someone who has anxiety and stuff like that, you just think, oh, what the fuck? Definitely had in t- uh, sort of tense connect, uh, to net, uh, mm. I cannot talk to the, it's, it's first thing in the morning, guys. <laughs> Just, yeah. just with us. yeah, um, yeah, but tense interactions. I was going to say where it's like you know I haven't even I'm like I'm the passenger in the car, and mm. we're just sort of talking, but they're still uh, it, they're big dogging us. Like mm. there is no reason for them to do that. It's just like well I'm the cop, so I'm the boss here. I'm like, okay, jeez, wasn't saying anything. Yeah, it definitely plays on power dynamics, and I think it is part of um, training, specifically with police officers, is a matter of controlling a situation, and part of controlling situation can be a dominating approach to a situation, mm. whereas, you know, I th- you find with a lot of, say, propaganda, you know, the police officer is usually either the, you know, the alpha dog or the compassionate one. You the, Essentially, good cop versus bad cop yep. uh, scenarios. Yeah, and clearly OCP just went, oh no, like, they could maybe have programmed a very sophisticated uh, social mm. protocol there. But just like, no, no, no. He is a blunt instrument. We just need 
the the purest distilled version of cop if we could please pretty it, it very much feel and, and this is very much prevalent in the next minute is mm. like this isn't an item that's used to dispense justice or keep the peace this is a product that ocp is wanting to sell and this is morton's basically you know dream project he doesn't care about the city or the anything else he cares about his pride his his hubris his status Mm-hmm. This is something that's definitely going to we could definitely talk about. But oh, just quickly. Uh, so the other line in the book, and this is, I think, again, it's the same same scene, same thing, just slightly different dialogue. Is come on, Murphy, it is you underneath there, right? Mm. So again, same dialogue, well, same context, but just again, this feels like a bit more like you know, maybe Lewis is thinking this is a bit of a play. Do you think it was risky for OCP to put Robocop back in the same precinct he came from? I think OCP did not think about that kind of stuff. Mm. Like, I, I don't think that was a conscious decision by Morton. I reckon they probably went... Well, it's established in the beginning of this movie that uh, Metro... Metro West version? I can't remember. Because it's North, Metro North, Metro South, and Metro West. I, yeah, I don't remember which one. I know they keep switching between movies, but this one is the worst of the worst. Mm. So they probably went, what's the shithole we can throw Robocop in so he gets into lots of um, big dogging? True. I've always wondered, so Sergeant Reed, I don't know if he is in on it at all. I don't. I don't. I think oh, they probably no. just showed up on, here's a Robocop, deal with it. Well, that's it. In the um, When Robocop is reintroduced into the Metro, he pretty much just like, what the hell's going on? He has no idea. OCP didn't even give him a friendly email. <laughs> just a heads up, no. Just, just a heads up, we're taking over this department. <laughs> even like Morton, when he comes in and knocks on the door, it's just like, uh, yeah, get lost. <laughs> shoo, shoo, go away, go away. You may be aside the desk sergeant, but go away, you know. Pat him on the head, move along. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I mean, this is sort of related to the next minute, but, yeah, you know, the technician's running. I can't re- I think we found out that guy's name, but I can't remember anymore. Roosevelt? I think it's uh, Roosevelt. That rings a bell. Roosevelt's got in the suit. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, and... But he's just like, yeah, what did you say to him? And I'm yeah. just wondering, uh, okay, if you've made this ultra-sophisticated robot man, are you telling me that you've got to be really, uh, you know you got to be censoring everything that he hears because you might trigger him. Like, what? <laughs> well, I think in the context of this minute, it's a thing where they know that something's wrong with him mm. and Lewis stopped him. So yeah. maybe it's one of those things where they're seeing this happen and... Oh, so you think maybe it's the other way around where he's going, hang on, you got you got it through to him seemingly for yeah. a second there. What, what did you do? Do it again. I think that's probably the scientific mind of just like, you know, okay, you know, we're trying to figure out what the hell went wrong. Maybe they thought, you know, maybe Lewis snuck in beforehand and said something to him. I, we, we don't know. But, um, mm. yeah, I think that's just that. It was just like, you know, hang on. You had an interaction. Did you say anything to him? You know, and I think that's the idea. But it's, uh, yeah. I like the fact that OCP has no clue what's going on. Yeah, I mean... I like that aspect of it because that is very realistic. You know, you're dealing mm. with the human brain and you've gone in there 
with yeah. these primitive tools and you've tried to <laughs> scramble it around as you see fit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not going to work the way you think it's going to work. Yeah. And we as the audience, are, you know, we we have the non-diegetic reasoning. We, we know that you know, Murphy or Robocop is starting to realize who he is and we're getting we're getting the triggers but they are clueless i think that's the other thing you know, the visual indicator is the eeg so they all they're seeing is squiggles they really just don't know what's going on his brain activity is off the charts whoa whoa that's not good so he's not supposed to dream is he just supposed to yeah i i, I guess they they're so fixated on robocop being a product that they forget that he was a person. They need some kind of like, you know, longing, rusted, 17, <laughs> daybreak, <laughs> firmness. <laughs> oh. oh, someone posted one of those things where it's like, what's four words that all, um, like, what's four words that make me do whatever you want? And that's uh, posted me with the soldier wants. <laughs> My favorite part is nine benign. I just saying nine benign is very fun to me. <laughs> Benign Nine isn't isn't that the sequel to uh, a Hateful Eight? I, th- I thought that was actually the sequel to Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brooklyn Nine Nine's kind of benign. True, um, true, true. Yeah. So the Hateful Eight. As propaganda goes. Yeah, Hateful Eight full in the Benign Nine. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I dig it. <laughs> it's yeah. You know, it's just the chillax. Oh God, could Quentin Tarantino do a chillaxed uh, movie? Yeah, I think it's just a bunch of people sitting around feet up. a coffee table, you know, <laughs> mid-century modern furniture, smoking weed, and then just talking about, like, I don't know, Roy Orbison and <laughs> fucking, uh, I don't know, how James Dean died, and they're talking about some sort of <laughs> profound philosophical connection between those two things. I don't know. <laughs> No, I think you you didn't hear my comment of with all their feet up. Oh yes, I that that did not come through on my end. So <laughs> I had to get that in there. the Quentin Tarantino foot fetish, which he apparently definitely does not have, according to him. Definitely hmm. does not have. Just embrace your kinks, man. Who cares? Yeah, we do not kink shame here. Yes, very kink positive. <laughs> We're very kink positive. Robococks Cox all the way down. Oh, so there's an interesting thing in the uh, script in the book is that when Lewis talks to uh, Murphy from the POV shot of uh, Robocop, we get the directive listing, and it's you know to to say um, serve the public trust blah 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 blah. In the the script, it only has three directives, and I think that just might be a typo because it has directive one protect and serve the public trust, directive two uphold the law, directive three classify. So I think they might have just miscounted there. <laughs> Very simple job, guys. God damn it! I know you had one job, and you wrote it. You know, in the book, it's you know serve the public trust, uphold the law, protect the innocent, or classify. So yeah, I think they just screwed up on the script. However, I think it's one of those things where because they had the directive pop up earlier on the film, they probably didn't feel like it was necessary to pop up the directives. And probably, like, I think we get a sense that the directives and stuff pop up when a crime is in progress. Like, that's how it's being reinforced. Like, it's something that Murphy has to kind of know. Mm. Whereas I think it's a bit weird that the, the director would pop up just talking to a fellow police officer. I mean, yes, it's 
technically like could you imagine every single interaction like he talks to like a random citizen and then the directive one pops off serve the public trust it's like yes i know i know all the time every single time i mean you can kind of get why he erases them in uh, robocop 2 they're just pesky yeah but yeah, I, I think it was just supposed to be like a visual... It's like all those notifications from all your apps. Like, I, I've had to get <laughs> a few different phones in the last few weeks. Just they were giving me issues, so I had to t- return them and get a new one. And then, yeah, I have to go through and turn off all the notifications for all notifications. the different apps. Yeah. I don't care yeah. to do it, Lingo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care that I have to do my Esperanto uh, lesson in a minute. <laughs> It's a shame Esperanto never took off. Yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to look for the most uh, useless language you could possibly learn. And I was going to say Klingon, but... Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. Klingon, you're probably actually better off. Yes, you can actually use it in conversation. Maybe only a few times a year at conventions, but yes. Oh yeah, when you're dressed up as a Klingon, you can call around, go around calling people... Uh, Patox? Backlath? Uh, the pack, ugh, Patak. Yeah, there we go. I was gonna say, keep wanting to say Batleth. No, it's Patak. You yes. damn Pataks, which is not a nice thing to call anyone in Klingon. And there's our Star Trek reference. Well, I don't know if you're an Australian Klingon. I think you just call all your mates a Patak. It's just like how you say yeah. hello. Yeah. G'day, Patak. Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> Although the uh, the Klingon greeting is Nuk Nuk, which uh, roughly translates as "What do you want?" <laughs> I love it. What a great culture. Yeah, it was not meant to be aggressive, like, you know, like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bleeping that one out. Uh, but, you know, as in, like, it's mostly a matter of, like, you know, you're interrupting me or, like, you know, what is it you require? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's so aggressively Klingon. Love it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I love the line in this minute somewhere a crime is happening it's like that is yes mm, it feels so yes. profound i don't know why yeah yeah it's just one of those things where like you know I, I, i'm not sure if it's robocop trying to deflect or oh yeah you know but he... i don't have emotions i'm not crying <laughs> you're crying what is this murphy of which you speak yeah <laughs> i think they were trying to do a visual indicator you know oh yeah these things are going to be important but i think uh Quite rightly, I'm glad they didn't put the the text on the screen because I think it might distract from yeah. the visual language of this particular moment. Yeah, it is just purely focusing on each other's face and that connection there. Mm. Yeah, and even I'll dip into the commentary because even uh, Ed talks about the cinematography in this, and he does specifically mention like the the close up of RoboCop's face because I think that's the the first time we actually get an, uh, such an angle on Robocop as well, like, you know, that close-up of the face, really kind of uh, focusing on the f- the actual jaw and everything like that, as opposed to, like, this big, hulking mechanical beast. Mm. It's almost like this was, you know, direct... Uh, c- the cinematography and everything was done by really professional, creative people. Yeah, unlike Gaslighting Robocop. I don't know if we oh, I got... You, I've got you, some notes before that. Cause, oh, uh, you've, you've saved yourself about ten more minutes. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to delay the inevitable. Because, uh, yeah. So, um, more commentary notes. Uh, John Davison mentions that the original Lewis that was cast was Stephanie Zimbalist, 
who people might know her mostly from a show called Remington Steel, oh. which also starred the pre-James Bond Pierce Brosnan. Uh, but she dropped out a few weeks before principal photography. Yeah, I don't... Nah, she wouldn't have worked. Well, it comes up in the next series of minutes, a commentary, actually. Paul originally preferred Nancy Allen, so this is probably one of those things where, like, say, you know, producers or everything were just like, no, no, we'll, we'll get this person. I believe, uh, timing-wise, Stephanie would have been halfway through the run of uh, Remington Steel, so... And that was a big show at the time, so mm. it... They probably were mostly focusing on star power. And she's an attractive lady and everything, so I think that was one of the things that they were probably thinking more sex appeal. Yeah. But um, going back into the sex part, uh, sex appeal part, uh, Ed actually mentions that the specifically how the uh, non-sexualization of Lewis was something that works incredibly well for the scene. And because there's no sexual tension or attraction between these two characters so you get a more of an emotional connection and it's something that even he admits he didn't pretty much understand but so this was very much a, a poor thing mm. he was the one that didn't want to sexualize lewis and smartest move play yeah. of the game you know damn if this had been any other director this had been a michael bay this would be you know, big hair, tits out, Lewis, and... Yeah, it's surprising, you know. actually, in the 80s. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of sexualization going on, but then it's also the era that gave us your, your Ripley's, your Sarah Connors, your... Yeah. And Lewis's. It, yeah, it's an interesting time, especially in the action genre and what they were doing with women, because we were starting mm. to depart from just, you know, especially in sci-fi, the, you know, very glammed up doll of a woman <laughs> with the ray gun and the yeah the i'm thinking of uh bloody barbarella barbarella is one example but they also parodied mm. it um god uh, i just watched galaxy quest could not think of the name. Galaxy. Yes. that kind of thing <laughs> well that's that the funny thing about galaxy quest is essentially yeah they got sigourney reaver to you know deliberately play the airhead uh, who hates being played as the airhead shields at 20 percent the computer says shields at 20 percent yes i said <laughs> Look, I had one oh, job on this ship, and I've got to do it. I've got to do it. <laughs> she is great at comedy, and it is such a shame that yes. she hasn't done any more. Because, yeah, she is great. Well, Ghostbusters was her first comedic role, and mm. she plays the, the straight person to everyone else's basically weirdo yeah. yak fest. So it's like she, she knew she could do comedy, but nobody wanted to hire her because everyone just went, oh, yeah, she's Ripley at this stage. Damn shame. But what's funny about talking about Sarah Connor is that Sarah Connor didn't become a badass until the 90s. In The Terminator, she very much is the damsel trope. She starts to get a bit more, I don't want to say the word aggressive, but she does tend to have some more agency towards the end of the film. But that was a, So that's a good evolution. Mm. Kind of same with... Ripley, although Ripley still was a very strong character. she If they had just listened to her, the yeah. Xenomorph would not have gotten bored. That is why Alien is one of the most relatable movies as a woman. Because it's just <laughs> like, could you listen to me? I've got, um, excuse me, I've got a suggestion. I think, mm, okay, well, everyone's dying and you still haven't listened to me. Yeah. So maybe you should, okay, you're dead too. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, grab my cat and get off the ship, blow it to pieces and fuck you all. It's a great movie. Classic. It is a great film. Uh, yes, I'll get back to my freaking Alien Covenant movies by minute one day. It's fine. I just... Uh, That's okay. It's fine. 
Don't even worry about it. I, I think I'm probably um, gone beyond you in regards to hiatus at this moment. So yeah, actually, yeah, you're you're uh, you're, you're three streak. months in. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I just don't have time. Uh, speaking of breaking a streak, eh, that's that's a bad segue. But we're going to bad film, so yep, gaslighting Robocop. Alex, how do you feel? I feel fine, Doctor Norton. This video begins with literal brain surgery, a task this, <laughs> the writing of this script could never be compared to, and ends with market research, which is basically what this movie was. It's a product of market research. Yeah, my note is combat mode, dot dot dot, fuck you. Combat mode looks like the Robocop PlayStation 2 game. Oh god, yes! <laughs> I've got the Xbox version of that right next to me, and the yep. graphics look exactly it's the exactly, same. It is, it's exactly the same. Um, and a neurologist, I, I believe that's his qualification. You know, well, he's doing doing brain surgery. Surgery, so mm. yeah, you know. Um, he says that consciousness is nothing more than processing of information. It's like, mm. mm-hmm. are, you, are, you, are you sure though? Because the, the brain <laughs> itself, you know, generates ideas, it responds to stimulus, is you mm. know, a few other things than just processing the information. You got to be able to execute commands on that. Anyway, yeah. It's almost as if the people writing this didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those lines where it felt like they were trying to say something smart and it just comes across being a bit dumb. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know what yeah. consciousness is in the first place. So any neurologist, neurosurgeon, whatever he officially is, would know that. I mean, okay, so it's supposed to be set in the future, but mm, no, I, I don't think you really understand consciousness. It really does feel like one of those complex subjects that has been dumbed down for a expected dumb audience. Yeah. I think it's there just to really drive the scene forward to say, like, all we need to do to make RoboFlag more compliant is just remove his brain. Mm. Or at least, you know, his his conscious thought. And it's like, why do you just do that to begin with? Then it's not even a human at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this movie is built upon this very shaky premise of... Well, why don't we put a man uh, inside of a machine? Oh, but we'll just remove most of the man. So really, what they wanted was a fleshy human face to convince people. <laughs> why don't you just make a really good uh, android? As long as as long as the fleshy human face is a white, attractive, bland piece of toast. Exactly. I mean, that's the Wayland Utani method as well. <laughs> um, I mean, we don't even talk about Alien Four, but yeah, mostly you just want a generic white man yeah it's just gonna fade yeah. into the back <laughs> what, was, what, was, what is it no fatties no blacks um yeah <laughs> jesus the ocp way but um <laughs> speaking of consciousness now of course we don't have an answer to what consciousness is but i am endlessly fascinated and mm. recently the the article doing the round was about how consciousness is about vibrations and it sounds okay. like a really far out theory but it relates to, I guess you could call it a mathematical phenomenon called spontaneous self-organization. And oh, okay. I think Veritasium... I've heard of this, but yeah. I've never read into it. So Veritasium has a video on self-organization, and it's like, you know, when fireflies come together in large gatherings, their flashing eventually goes in mm. sync. Um, yeah. Uh, lasers are produced when photons of the same power and frequency sync up. Uh, the moon's rotation is exactly synced with its orbit around the Earth. And, mm-hmm. yeah, these are just things that, based on variables that we don't quite understand, it just happens. But vibration seems to be the underlying thing. 
Well, it's the uh, concept that uh, chaos over time equals order. Yes, basically that. So uh, hmm. large-scale neuron firing occurs in human brains at measurable frequencies and uh, with mammalian consciousness thought to be commonly associated with various kinds of neuronal sync. So, I mean, that makes sense because if you have epilepsy, what ha what's happening is your neurons are firing oh, out yeah. of sync. So the, the latest thinking is that... Yeah, light itself is a frequency. Mm -hmm. so wow. So where consciousness must be emerging from is just that the vibration, the synchronicity between neurons. And then, of oh. course, we enter different states of consciousness depending on neuro neuronal activity. So when you're dreaming, hmm. there's more going on than when you're just basically more unconscious uh there's a name for the different yeah. states of sleep but i can't remember from the top of my head but yeah well there's also the um idea of like the um oh was it the circadian circadian rhythm, rhythm? yes and like how it's synced to yeah, essentially daylight and night time yeah, exactly so you're more inclined to yeah you're tired you're more inclined to go to sleep and that's why if your circadian rhythm's a bit disrupted that's why you get night howls and things like that mm, so but god damn it it's all tied together to steal a phrase yeah it's I, all connected yeah i mean i've always been a big fan of determinism that everything happens because something else happens there's always factors before now that mm -hmm. led up to you making even the most basic decisions yeah that's that's why free will doesn't exist <laughs> yeah. yeah i actually find that quite comforting whereas i talk to my family about it and they f get freaked out they just go but if i don't have free will then okay you have the illusion of free will so every yes. decision you make like, <laughs> i feel like wearing a pink shirt today you know hmm. you feel like you made that decision but maybe it's because i don't know you were watching something and someone was wearing pink and you're like, hmm, yeah, pink feels good today. Then you get into postmodernism and you know, things like uh, semantics, uh, <laughs> semiotics and like, Semiotic, you know, yeah. how so socially constructed pink is girly and blue yeah. is manly and blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Like, well, if you're a man, you're statistically less likely to even buy a pink shirt and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, I don't like pink. It's like, hmm. It's something else. It's funny when people try and use biological determinism to uh, basically reinforce gender and sexual stereotypes. And it's really like, ah, if you go back far enough, the opposite was true. So, no, yeah. you're wrong. I think there are certain things that pertain to our gender, particularly you know, yes. just genitals. Like, yeah, that's going to determine certain aspects <laughs> of your life. Yeah, this is why men should wear kilts. We need some free-flowing down there. I honestly don't understand where we went wrong in history, where men are wearing the constrictive, <laughs> un, like, lower half garments, and women are wearing <laughs> the loose. Like, I can, I, what? we can wear things that look like they're spray-painted on us, and we can still move around, and we're not in pain down there. What? <laughs> yeah, if we cross our legs uh, with a pair of tight trousers, we're in a lot of pain. I will say the, the trend has <laughs> kind of gone out of fashion but the drop crotch trousers that men were wearing around 2015 it's like yes that's the right idea for men that's that's the kind of trousers men should be wearing yeah especially if you want to increase fertility because heat down there not good oh do you think it's like a conspiracy i know we're way off track here but it wouldn't be 60 seconds to comply if it didn't so like is this trying to reduce the human population by making men <laughs> wear tighter and tighter fitting trousers. Oh, I think if it's going to be not so much uh, reducing the population, it's probably the next generation of eugenics. And it's we want the correct uh, generation mm. to uh, mm. 
to uh, be sustained. But uh, yeah, going back to what we're saying about consciousness. So it's so fascinating to me to view consciousness from this perspective because then you think, okay, what about a digital system? What about a like mm. Robocop himself? He has yeah. this very sophisticated uh, non-organic system within him Will he eventually have some kind of synchronization, not just within the robotic parts itself, but between the biological and the robotic? You know, over time, would we see this merging? And I think we've talked about that before, mm. the people with the brain implants to deal with uh, epilepsy and all those sorts of issues. Yeah. Oh, of... that's... Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Heard that one. Mm. Yeah, so even with minor brain implants, we are seeing people merging with these devices mm. so yeah oh it's it's a really cool trippy sci-fi stuff but it's real yeah no the thing that just came to mind uh just thinking about you know what you're saying about that we're seeing this movie that norton is removing chips yes and i think the the visual language is that we're supposed to imply that removing these chips is essentially removing the controls inhibitors maybe well i don't know but that's the problem because they're going hang on we're dealing with a human brain if you're removing chips aren't you just letting the brain take back control i mean okay if i'm looking at this from a technological point of view maybe morton's removing a chip so he can add he can do a flash dump onto the chip and re reload it yeah into it. maybe he's not actually removing it removing it he's taking it off putting it back on but we don't see that part of it unless you know mm. things about electronics, but the visual implications that... And it's like something between his lobes. It's like a... Yeah. It, well, yeah, it looks like essentially um, a, um, a chip slot to a certain degree. But that's what I'm thinking. It's like, hang on. The visual language is more to removing things from RoboFlag when, realistically speaking, if they want more control over RoboFlag, they should be actually putting more in. Mm. But I'm not sure if that visually works. Yeah. Because like, the whole implication is yet they're removing the consciousness from Robocop. Ah. God damn it, movie. I mean, if there is logic, we will never know. <laughs> no, we'll definitely not know. And I, t I, I really want to go back to Sellers for a tick because mm. uh, it, it does feel like a bit of a fuck you to... Um, have them bring up the old costume as like, yeah, check this out, and we're gonna turn it into this. <laughs> they turned it into fucking hammer bots. They, 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 <laughs> Robo hammer. They just the fucking a siren and the light on his head. Ah, oh, they unironically do that, and I didn't even think they were even thinking about that. But it's just like. Yeah, he push a button and he transforms and he removes his cool armor to reveal the bad armor. Yeah, it's really popular with the five-year-olds, a demographic oh, we're really going after. Yeah. I, but we'll go more into that in the next minute. We'll go into more on that in the next minute because, that yeah, Keaton's line in that is brilliant. But yeah, it's just such a... Oh, fuck. I, mean, I, just, I just felt insulted. In that moment, watching it the first time. More so than any other minute in... Yeah, yeah. Any yeah. other minute in this movie so far. This particular moment just feels like a big... Ha ha, this isn't your daddy's Robocop. <laughs> isn't that so clever? I'd buy that for a dollar. I wouldn't buy that for a dollar or whatever the hell. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like the big slap in the face. Like, <laughs> It's also the moment where you just go... It's... Oh, 
just looking back, it's like they really did grotesquely over emphasize certain aspects of the robot classic robocop costume on this model like the helmet looks a bit too big like the uh the the arms are a bit too uh big and stuff like that. it's like oh really really you really went there anyway mm-hmm. ah fuck this movie <laughs> we'll talk about it more next minute because damn uh i i'm i'm all loaded out okay well so where can the lovely viewers find you? Yes. I, I, I can't do it without you introducing that's part of the oh, <laughs> editor. No. I know. Uh, yeah, so trivianddesigns.com. That's where you'll find my podcast and photo shoots and everything. And hmm. uh, Courtney Colson on YouTube. And you can find me on Fandom Crossing and Helios Photos, where I've taken some of those aforementioned photo shoots. But more importantly, you can find us on Spotify, Google, Simplecast, Apple, uh, most of your favorite podcasting, pod snatching, or pod catching, and whatever pod programs. Pod people. Grab them by the podcast. Yeah, yeah, grab them by the podcast and twist. And <laughs> but yeah, YouTube as well. Forgot the YouTube. Uh but yes, please like, share, subscribe, uh rate, review, leave us some comments. Uh you know, send a eagle to Gondor and mm. drop the ring into a mountain. I don't know what the kids do these days. <laughs> uh <laughs> these social media's platforms. And until next time. Imagine a world where a man has a robotic penis. You're now entering the Robocock zone. (laughs) I just thought about it in the last minute. I was just like, the scary door. Why am I thinking, oh, I could do something with that. I was just about to say, I can't beat that. (laughs) Ew.